Welcome to Upholding Matters, a podcast devoted to talking about what matters. Now, I was raised to believe that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness were things that mattered. And certainly they are the unalienable rights that Jefferson wrote about in the Declaration of Independence. We will talk about how to uphold them, how they hold us up, and why that matters. Welcome to Upholding Matters. I'm your host, David Paul, and I'm going to start us off with a gong. I introduced it last show, but tonight is our 50th episode, so I appreciate that. And it's been a crazy week because last time you remember, the Mueller report had just come in and we were waiting for the promised summary by the Attorney General. So he said he'd do a couple days. And it came out. And we haven't spoken since then. Well, it was disappointing to some. And Donald Trump takes it as total vindication. And I should just say at the beginning, it's not. And all these other cases continue. So now Congress is going to fight to do its constitutional job, oversight of the executive branch, and going as far as trying to get the transcripts or uh, the interpreter at the meeting with Putin that Trump wouldn't have anybody at and destroyed the notes. And it's all very counter to how foreign policy and the administration of our government goes. Those are public records to be archived. Those are America's facts and notes and secrets, even, if you will. I mean, a lot of these secrets come out after a while, 50 years, 100 years. So it's not unheard of to think that the truth can not only be immortalized, but protected and withheld until the appropriate time for the release of the information. So there's no way to say that that stuff, the information of what was said. Now, this is just for records, but our intelligence agencies and CIA, they need to know what went on because there's a multi-dimensional chess game going on that if you're going to blind us to some moves that were made, it does not help the United States of America pursue its interests. It's uh, damaging to our foreign interests and our whole foreign policy. But I'm so pumped up about all the other great things that happened this week that I want to kind of get to it, but we have to just talk a little bit more about the Mueller report and Congress's attempt to get it released in full and people to know and the Trump administration to stop claiming vindication. So, and you know, we could go through some of these 
For instance, in those two days before Attorney General Barr released that summary, hand-picked Attorney General, who you remember he submitted his unsolicited opinion. Now he's a former Attorney General way back, and so, you know, he's now without standing in mayor and people that respect him. So, But he offered that op-ed up as what people can rightly claim was a job interview explaining that the executive cannot be corrupt and cannot obstruct justice. And so here he's got the job and the sole responsibility, the difference between the special counsel and the uh, Ken Starr deal. Admit that. So, we won't know. We won't know about a lot of things until we see more of it. And it was very interesting that Barr wrote in the uh, summary, left a line in there from Call Me, that said that, you know, and these are the intricacies, the reason why the Department of Justice's own guidelines about indicting a president or all that. So, but it said that it did not say he did, and it did, said in there it did not exonerate him. So at least Barr included that. It was part of a sentence that's written in that report. And today we know that there's like 300 pages of it. And again, who, that's not an official real number. That's just what people are able to put together. You know, these reporters, they work so hard, they corroborate with other sources, and they're not just whistling Dixie and pulling rabbits out of their hats. I mean, their reputations are important, and the work they have to do, which is a little off-subject, but... Netflix, I love that recently, because there's a movie, it's a, a miniseries or a, even a TV show, because there's episodes and seasons. And I hope they get going and wrap this stuff up, but it's about the Tupac Shakur and um, Biggie Smalls murders and the rivalry between Death Row Records and all this other, Suge Knight and the LAPD and it's so neat because they follow two investigations into these murders years apart, like 1997 and then 2006. And no one's cracked the case, and they're coming at it again. And so I'm, I'm intrigued to see, but it shows how the police work together, a joint task force. They got the feds in there and the sheriff's department and some Compton detective. And out of all that, you don't know who the honest cops are because there's a lot of evidence pointing. You know, they busted a cop for bank robbery and they found the car. This is the point to I'm to in the show. But the car might have been used in the shooting and uh, the drive by that killed uh, one of them. And. Uh, they can't get a gunshot residue because it's just too sensitive, just too sensitive. And they got to solve one crime and not the other. 
for instance, it was in the bank robber's garage, but they suspected a cop did the murder with that car and they can't even pursue it. And that's how kind of life is here because here you got Trump and Mueller says that in the little bit of what he actually says we get to see, says that the failure to prosecute does not exonerate. So now it's up to this other guy and we have to fight and fight and fight. And uh, it's like Bernie. I went to a, a Bernie rally. It was great. And I don't disagree with the thing Bernie says about what we need to do. I mean, we should have college for everybody and health care and Elizabeth Warren still sounds really good to me, too. But saying those things and getting them or getting the powers to be that be that have the power to give it up, like drug companies, well, it would be nice if they would just voluntarily give back and then stop making the insane profits and let people have drugs that they need to save their lives at a price they can afford. There's an idea. But so instead of making, you know, if you make good salary, $50,000 a year, and somebody is making $15 million a year, that's just, they could get by with $25 million. You know, I don't know why anybody needs to make more than $10 million a year. I mean, I guess you could buy things and real estate and toys and invest in things that help people. Hopefully you could do that. But then you got to be Bill Gates kind of rich. Warren Buffett, they give a lot of money, you know. And how that spent, well, this is part of the stuff we're talking about this week because there's been a major breakthrough and I want to tell you about that first, and then we'll go backwards. Because tonight at an NAACP meeting, and this is funny because, uh, you know, I ham, I guess. I like to admit it, but I got the second emotion. So I'm written into the minutes of the meeting. And that that's neat, you know, that I'm written into history that... Well, no one will ever see and no one will ever dig this up because it's not really going to matter when a motion was seconded. But it makes me feel good to be part of it and the inclusion and the making America a better place and holding up the ideals that we're here to cherish and exemplify in our actions. These things are a little harder, a little easier said than done. We have an election coming up. We have stuff. And at this NAACP meeting, they had Charles Boswick there, Chuck. If anybody knows him, calls him Chuck. And he uh, works for the county supervisor. And you know I do the stuff with the homeless coalition. And he says that now they're actually considering, which we've pressed and pressed and pressed, and I've made it my point to say it at every meeting I go to, that we need safe access, people to be able to park that are fortunate enough to have a car or something to live in. 
they need a safe place to park that at night so they're not victimized yet another time or driven off or, you know, let's, let's help these people. And then they're also talking about letting people have a place to camp so they're not out in the desert sleeping in a safe place with some outhouses and some basic sanitation and, you know, it will help people. And they're now finally talking about doing something that's out of the bounds of all these other things that are doing admirable things. And yet things that will take so long and cost so much money. And there are simple, real things we can do right now. Let's let people sleep in peace. this two-part method and I'd like to say I got good sleep last night but it was about average which for me in general is poor so and I was a little tired so I want to correct right away at one point I'd like to say I'm tricking you or seeing if you're paying attention but I said call me instead of Muller at one point talking about William Barr I couldn't for the life of me, find William's first name. And then the other thing is the special counsel, special prosecutor, distinction, Land Jaworski, uh, Ken Starr, all these guys, you know, they're, they were special prosecutors. They had more power, but they could still be fired. But the way they would conduct themselves, they could just release the findings and prosecute people. And then that expired... It's because of Watergate. And both the Republicans and Democrats don't like that much power in anybody's hand. Especially, you know, if they become president or something. So they watered it down and they made it be this special counsel act, which has to report to the attorney general. And that political person gets to decide. And that was the point of taking it out of the hands of political concerns. It was good to breathe. So today, we have the new Attorney General, William Barr, re-releasing another letter to clarify the first letter summary, which he says is not a summary. And from all the opinions and things I can gather, it seems pretty likely that he's feeling the heat and trying to save his reputation. So 
I mean, he came in and cleared another Republican administration before. And so here he is again. And it seems like it'll just get more and more interesting. Okay, we'll see how that all shakes out. And if Congress can get the report, well, it seems like sooner or later they'll get it. So we, we shall wait again. Here we thought the Mueller report would end it all. And being that it's our 50th show, I found it neat in a way that today is the National Vietnam War Veterans Day. And there was a nice dinner tonight put on by a group here locally called Point Man, where they give anybody who served during that time, it doesn't matter if you went to war or overseas or never left the country, it's just if you were a member of the armed forces during that period. And that's because they recognize that, well, a lot of these guys came back and were treated like dirt. So the pin they give to veterans is a welcome home. And they go through a, you know, real brief, but welcome home. And that's all anybody ever needed to hear, and very few did. So they made this nice thing. They made this day. And, uh, you know, I've lost some friends because of the conflict between Trump and the people that find him objectionable. And one of my veteran friends, I think, you know, and there's another rivalry from another group of veterans and he was at a bar at the place, but then I lost track of him. And he might have got called away, I'm not sure, but I really wanted to see him. And it's just, it's so complex because if you love America and if you're in a room with a bunch of veterans, and it doesn't matter who, you know, or I should say what they think about the current president. I mean, a lot of guys, I talked to one guy, an old guy, and he's, just like Nixon too. And he was a dog and knew he was dirty and did all that stuff and it didn't matter. He was okay. And so I get that. People like their guy and people pick their guy from a lot of random reasons that have to do with, you know, inner messages, biases that we all carry and share and are a little aware of. So, the Vietnam War Veterans Recognition Act of 2017, designated March 29th of each year as the National Vietnam War Veterans Day. And it's the 50th anniversary of the war. And I would peg that that means the official beginning of the war, which would put it somewhere like 1967. And I was a very young man then, and it was just kicking up, but conflict had been going on there. You know, Eisenhower, Kennedy, it was going on. So, war is just planning for war. I mean, some would relate to it as planning for peace, and there's strength and peace. There's peace and strength. And I want to ask kicking military 
but I want peace on earth. So we just keep trying to perfect it and work it out. And it was neat. So I've told you about my NAACP meeting. And I can tell you a little bit about our local government and city council. We have a meeting with the county coming up. It's out at a firehouse. It's kind of middle ground. And Anyway, we're going to talk about you know, what the county's doing, what the cities are doing, and what we're doing to help with this homelessness stuff. And it's going to be a gathering, and I mean, like, my mind has already been somewhat changed. Chuck Boswick, from the supervisor's office, he's a connected guy. He used to work for the newspaper. He was in the newspaper business for 40 years. And ever since I got to town, he was either the editor or the assistant editor of the paper. So, you know, my thing with Perry White and Clark Kenton, a good reporter, I mean, that's that's really a cool occupational aspiration. It's almost as good as being a detective, but you don't get a gun. So, you know, I, I love a good newsman. And... uh he turned the tide for me a little bit yesterday because if they're willing to listen, if they're actually willing to do something, well, my goodness, that's a step in the right direction and a deviation from the lack of originality that has been shown up until this point and the, I don't know, it's, it's unsettling a little bit to watch a bunch of people that are skilled therapists and health providers of all sorts try and be administrators and coalition builders and all these things. You know, a lot of them have the skills, a mixed bag of all these skills, but you get a bunch of people in a room involved and everybody's pulling. And so it's, it's a tough one. I talked about the, um, point of saying that we would end homelessness, talked about getting the secretary so people can communicate more resources. And of course, we've hammered relentlessly on this safe parking. So maybe we can get a secretary and some safe parking, but stay tuned on that. And then I think other than, oh, there's so many substantial things. But I said to report, I didn't get the job of commissioner at large. You remember I talked about our mayor telling me that put me on a commission once and I quit. And that's not exactly true. And it was really going nowhere. And, you know, so in time for other people, it's just a mixed bag of not entirely true. And one thing I've never quit on is fighting for the city, fighting for America, and in between fighting for myself. Because life is not easy. I found this thing online about all the symptoms of MS and the fatigue, and these things are very real, and, you know, you need to be able to take a nap. 
You need to be able to get to the bathroom. I mean, you can't sit too long. and There's all sorts of things. So they're real. But the idea of a commissioner at large was brought up and passed by the council, but this is what happened. The mayor is going to make the councilman be the commissioners at large. So that if a commissioner for any of these other commissions doesn't show up, they'll fill in. Now, I asked them at the meeting, I said, well, but what if you have that and would you need a councilman in the audience ready to step up on the dais and assume the role of the commissioner at large? And what if two of them are gone? So it seems unreasonable considering these councilmen are all paid a small stipend and have real full-time jobs other than that. To be sitting in the morning and the evening when they don't have to be there in the audience for meetings that they may not have to attend. But my point was, is there a schedule for who's going to sit there? Because you have to be sitting there, you know? You have to be there. When the meeting starts, I mean, 10 minutes before the meeting, if they call you, that's still not enough time to get there. Half hour before the meeting, nobody knows what's going on. So I asked him about that and how it's going to work out. And then I asked the mayor if it doesn't work out, if there's still vacancies in the meetings that are canceled because there's a lack of a quorum, would he reconsider appointing me commissioner at large so I could do a better job than people who are never there rather than most of the time. So that was met with silence. I took it in stride. There's so much happening. And I hope we're all on the edge of our seat waiting to see whether this report will see the light of day and we can actually know what's going on but, you know, I don't know. It seems like even that in black and white handed to you on paper would be discredited or not looked at. And I just think about friends I've lost, unfriended on Facebook, guys I've known for a long time. And they love the president and I don't say that's bad. I want to love the president too. I want to love America, and we just have to keep doing our best to uphold our values. How will we ensure that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness endures for all? Mm -hmm.